Psychomedy is brought to you by ThreadUp, Manchester-based therapy that supports creativity. I'm Rafaela Nunes, the founder of ThreadUp and the counsellor support in the creative community. Comedians and creatives in general can experience anxiety, depression, low moods, and this in turn can affect their creativity. One-to-one counselling can facilitate a safe space for creatives to explore any difficulties, to gain self-awareness, to develop strategies that work, and ultimately to create choices that are aligned with the natural creative flow. If you are in need of support, then please get in touch. Visit threadup.co.uk to book your counselling sessions at reduced rates when you quote Psychomedy. I'm Nathan Cassidy, stand-up comedian and Bachelor of Science in Psychology, a degree I definitely remember every single word of, and it gives a massive amount of credibility to me discussing the psychology of stand-up comedy with today's very special guest. Iceland's biggest comedian, my favourite Icelandic comedian by a country mile, I'm delaying saying his name because I've just realised I can't pronounce it at all, it is the one and only, Ari! Good so far. El Tiok. <laughs> How is that even a K sound? It ends with an N. Ari El Tion. Close enough. It's, yeah, Ari El Tion. Well, you, you make it sound so easy, but at the end of that word, that isn't a letter that we have. The N? <laughs> we don't have the M. M-O-P is our alphabet. Yeah. Um, El Tion. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, you yeah. tail off. It, it, most people here just say El John. They El just, John. Well, that's what I was going to say. That's yeah. how it's that's it'll, how it it'll do. It'll certainly work. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ari, can I call you Ari? Yeah. Um, as normal inside comedy, Ari is uh, lying back here on what's quickly becoming known as the psychomedy sofa, but is in fact my sofa. And uh, we're not looking each other in the eye for the duration of the interview as Ari relaxes here and uh, he's looking very sleepy. So he may be the first one to totally fall asleep. Um, (laughs) Ari, you can totally relax as we delve into what I'm sure is a fascinating and rich mind. I say that because... uh, I've been aware of your stuff. We hooked up in Edinburgh, uh, but I saw your show uh, along with a packed house at the Soho Theatre this week, Igor Fire Iron, where you reveal a lot about your background and your family. For those that haven't seen your comedy, we're going to play a clip in in a second to give people a flavour. How would you describe your style of comedy? What kind of things are you talking about in your shows at the moment? Well, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty similar to what I'm like in conversation. Um, it's uh, pretty good-natured and uh, uh, a bit panicky and fast at times. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes a little bit wordy, but I don't stay too long in any bit. <laughs> Do you pronounce those words correctly? That's the important thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your show at the Soho Theatre, um, I think, reflects uh, obviously reflects you as a comic in terms of uh, one thing I notice is you're relatively clean. 
a yeah. relatively clean comic. Um, has this come naturally to you, or is this um, part way by by design? Uh, definitely not by design. Mm. Um, I just wound up that way. I, I myself am very much a fan of comedy that is not clean. Okay. And uh, grew up watching Eddie Murphy in particular. Okay. And uh, but I, I just don't know how to deliver that style like convincingly. <laughs> but yeah, I don't. I don't frown upon comedy that's not clean. Quite a, quite the opposite. I'm a big fan. Oh, nice. Do you have thoughts then that? that you have that you think could be material, but you think that's a bit too dark, a bit too non-clean, dirty? Yeah, I mean, definitely stuff that I say in, like, uh, just private conversation and private banter that... Like this one? Uh, yeah, yeah, which no one is going to hear. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's very private for our ears only. But, yeah, like that tends to be like more like of a private humour and, like... Sometimes just very difficult to explain. Mm. So, like the off-stage banter, like I have with my comedy friends, like so much of it is just like inside jokes and code, uh, almost like a different language. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it would just be probably not that fun to listen to. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, what I thought was. It's I hope you're find this as a compliment. I thought it was down the line of Michael McIntyre, who I've seen in that very venue at the Soho Theatre, right. and. Um, in terms of observation, or would you take that comparison? Well, I'm not. Would you take his O2 run? I would take his O2 run definitely. <laughs> I've not seen much of his stuff, but okay. I have seen like maybe a clip of him on TV from like a few years ago. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he uh, he's a very talented comedian. Mm, that's what I mean. But I'm not sure like how he fits in the whole scheme of comedians here. Like he, he's, I would guess he's not considered part of the indie scene. Like, no, but <laughs> <laughs> that makes him in the successful scene. Right? Yes, yes. <laughs> it's it's all a bit more muddy back home. Yeah. The scene is quite smaller. Yeah, I think if you're talking to comedians, uh, they'll be talking about different scenes, indie and whatever. Yeah. If you're talking to the public, it's just someone we know and can yeah. go and see in a venue that's not above a pub. Yeah. <laughs> and he's successful and good at comedy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I read somewhere that you have an eye on wanting to be more experimental with your stuff. Is that right? Were you misquoted there? or No, I probably said that. Mm. Um, usually I have the most fun with the test shows, like New Material Night, yeah. on the rare occasion that I actually do have a show like that mm. and wind up just showing up with some notes written and riffing. Mm. I tend to have a lovely time. But Do you rarely do that then? Yeah, well, I have to do it every year. I have a solo show that I do every, between Christmas and New Year's. I have a annual show that I do in Reykjavik. And How many uh, people are you playing to in those, in those smaller gigs? Well, the test shows are like 180 people. 180? Yeah. Wow. Well, Things it, it, are very different in Iceland. Yeah, it's not... It, <laughs> have you ever played to less than 180? <laughs> yes, well, definitely. You just come back from Edinburgh, so maybe you did. But. Definitely, but they are, all, all sizes are so, like, everything is so twisted because it's such a small scene. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, there is a... There, there are 360,000 people, and, I mean, you, you do get a crowd there. And in many ways, it's easier to get people in, in Iceland than in the UK. Yeah. Like if, if a foreign act shows up and just has a show and just puts a few posts up, there, there's always going to be someone who comes. I want to move to Iceland. <laughs> yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. You've not had my pain, Harry. 
No, no, no. <laughs> I didn't have to jump through many hoops. <laughs> no, it, it's new. It, it's like the Wild West. It's still relatively new. And many countries have like a comedy scene that's only five or ten years old. Yeah. Great. Well, let's have a, let's have a listen to a clip uh, for people that haven't uh, heard your stuff. You are playing to more than 10 people again at the uh, Melbourne International Comedy Festival, the opening night uh, gala there. And you're talking here a bit about your homeland. Our main exports are uh, fish and disappointment. We are a pretty uh, small economy. But we don't have strength in numbers, but we do have it in statistics. We say we're the best in the world per capita. That is, considering how few we are, we are the best per capita. This is like an economist's term. Children use it in Iceland, like, we have the most cars in the world per capita. How old are you? Three? That's not very old. It is per capita. It, it's, it never stops. Yeah, and <laughs> I remember I was very nervous doing that uh, thing because it was very tightly run. There was maybe 30 comics doing it. Yeah. And you just get one shot. And I, I did it. And afterwards, uh, it was a huge relief. I was yeah. quite happy with the performance. But yeah, it was quite new for me to be like in a foreign country and they're going to put this on TV. Yeah, yeah. So how are you feeling differently in terms of your mind there compared with other gigs in Iceland? Well, maybe you're more relaxed. You know, can you, can you talk us through it in any more detail in terms of how you feel just before and second by second when you're on one of those big gala shows in front of thousands of people? Well, in many ways, it's... Um, the few times I've done it, um, yeah, the, the main challenge is just to not obsess about like what is my performance going to be like because mm. I tend to do my routines so often that they almost become like muscle memory. Yeah. But they can still fluctuate heavily in like in, in quality depending on like if I'm, if I'm stressed, I start speaking maybe a little bit too fast. Mm. And that creates a whole new field of like paranoia when you're like oh I'm talking too fast I'm talking too fast but I don't want to slow down because I don't want to lose them <laughs> um, so the thing that I often beat myself up the most about is ah that is not how it should be mm. but people who uh, see it they have no idea how it should be they have no idea how you have done it for the last hundred times yeah they only know what they see and you have to really let go because once you do it and it's recorded it's out there and yeah you can't be this control freak who like now nah, i'm gonna fix that a little bit no that that should be a little bit tighter there yeah, yeah. so it's um it's a healthy you have to find a healthy balance of being like obsessive and uh, polishing your stuff and then also being like que sera, sera, you know <laughs> it is what it is yeah and i read somewhere else that you you were a perfectionist is that would you describe yourself as that yeah i have your material i have i have uh, episodes of that yeah but also a very bad side effect of perfectionism is you really stop writing if you uh, <laughs> if you're obsessing about polishing your material um at one point you just turn into a cover act of yourself <laughs> you've got like 20 minutes that you really know and you really know how to deliver and then you realize, I haven't really written anything for six months. Yeah. But this has gotten very tight. But I, it's almost like you don't know who wrote this anymore. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's go back and talk about your um, childhood and home life just for a, a few minutes. So you were born and raised in Reykjavik. 
Have mm. I pronounced that correctly? Yeah, close enough. <laughs> Reykjavik. Oh God, I'm under so much pressure. <laughs> Reykjavik. <laughs> um, yes, you were born and raised in Reykjavik. Um, I defy anyone listening to this podcast to pronounce it better than me, who wasn't born in Iceland. <laughs> I actually defy anyone listening to the podcast to be able to spell Reykjavik. It's very difficult for um, people in this country to spell. Come on, yeah. everyone listening, try and spell Reykjavik. You'll, you'll make a mistake. Um, so you're talking about your family for a second. So as we heard in your Soho Theatre show, your grandfather was the uh, president of Iceland. Correct. That's a, that's a, that's a big statement to start with. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't start with it. <laughs> no, no yeah, you should. <laughs> I sneak it in there. Yeah. Otherwise, people get the wrong idea. What? You're, are you a royal? I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, you, you downplay it in the show in yeah. terms of how, how it compares with being, um, I don't know, somewhere prestigious like uh, America, where everyone admires the president. And uh, But um, <laughs> surely... <laughs> Surely, uh, surely those are still quite big shoes to fill, no? Well, I think I became aware of the fact that he was president, like, in the 60s and the 70s and early 80s. I, I became aware of it when I was, like, you know, six or seven or something. I used to mention it, you know, in, in school, school ground, like, fights and stuff like that. Like, yeah, my, my dad can beat your dad up. Yeah, well, my granddad was president. Okay, it doesn't really help you here, though, does it? <laughs> but yeah, big shoes to fill. Um, I, I I've never considered running for president, if that's what you mean. <laughs> I think it's a. Uh, did it did it not color your childhood at all? Then it was just something that you were made aware of, and it wasn't because I can imagine. No, it was it was not talked about that much. Um, okay. I mean, he 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 died when I was one, and um, mm. so I wasn't really sort of. It, it wasn't really real, you know. I kind of have to read up about it later. Yeah. Did it help or hinder you in terms of progressing in this career, or did it have no no effect whatsoever? I'm not sure. I mean, I think the fact that I have this really weird name really helped. But <laughs> um, but the name is also like my father is a writer, and um, he's written tons of poetry and novels and short stories, and he's very well known for children's poetry. Yeah, which um, means that there are many many generations who associate the name first and foremost with him. Mm. So I think uh, okay. people often will often more connect me with him than with my grandfather because it's just so long ago that he was yeah. president. So in terms of your dad, does that add any extra pressure or add any uh, it, expectation from people? It probably would have if I had initially decided to go into writing, mm. you know, because then you, of course, have a comparison, having mm. a very established... Um, writer for a father yeah or even in your own mind that you want to live up to that definitely um, yeah 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 I pro probably it's been at the back of my mind earlier like but I, comedy was like that was like really my thing yeah it was um, it's it, it was so much on my own terms that that it it helps being like associated with my uh, family but mm. but yeah I'm, I'm the only one who's done comedy so yeah and your mom, you mentioned in the show, there was, a, there was a, an interesting thing that, if it's true, that I can relate to in terms of your mom being quite cautious. You were talking about <laughs> cars coming from everywhere, which was uh, really funny. And um, it reminded me of my mom saying to me once, um, Nathan, be careful of this road. There are lots of parked cars down that road. 
Yeah, that sounds like, like her. And she said there's nothing more dangerous than parked cars. I'm like, yeah. there, there might be. There might be moving ones. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, she is, um, so is she, uh, is she kind of risk averse and uh, cautious? Yeah, I mean, she's, she's very much like, um, you know, um, a matriarch. Like, uh, she, she takes care of the family. She's always making sure everyone is in, um, in good shape and... Um, and keeps us very tight as a family unit. Yeah. Uh, I have this joke in the show that it has to do with the fact that she is a meteorologist, which mm. means that her job for 40 years in Iceland has been telling people <laughs> very disappointing news. <laughs> yeah. But she has also lived through uh, very challenging stuff. Um, uh, she had five sons, mm. uh, me being the fourth, and two of them have died. So I've lost okay. two brothers. Mm. And my second oldest brother, he was born severely handicapped with no proper diagnosis, really. It was just something didn't form correctly mm. uh, neurologically. So he passed away when he was 23 years old. I was, I think, 17. And for her, that had been like almost like an umbilical cord that was never cut. And of course, something she knew would happen for a long, long time. And, uh, of course, this affected her and affected us. Mm. And then, bizarrely, two years after that, uh, my oldest brother was diagnosed with um, a brain tumor, which okay. is uh, called glioblasta multiforme, which is basically a malignant brain tumor, and he died two years later. So we took a heavy hit mm. in the period of four years, mm. which was very difficult to go through. And you can imagine... Uh, how protective you become uh, as a result of that mm. but it did it did sort of uh, consolidate us quite yeah. heavily like we are really tight as a result and um, yeah we got through it how old were you at that time i was 20 going on 21 when my oldest brother died yeah and yeah that whole period is just like a blur you really don't remember the illness and and everything that well. I remember what happened before, like up until like 98, that's like when my second oldest brother died. I remember that period very vividly. Mm. So like grief is a really weird thing. Mm. You, um, part of the survival mechanism is the fact that you kind of emotionally forget the worst stuff. Yeah. Like I saw this weird piece on 60 Minutes once about these seven people in America who remembered everything. They remembered every single minute of every day of their lives. And they've been tested by scientists. They have been asked about like football results from this day 23 years ago. They remember everything. And they said the worst thing about it is they remembered every grief event very vividly. They could re... The trauma never goes away. Yeah. But in our case, like time really did help because you'd really... You forget the, mm. the worst stuff. Are you saying then you've you, you've blacked it out a little bit that that time after the he died? Have you have you have you really? Yeah, like I didn't keep a diary, and um, yeah, I do remember like key moments of it, mm. but like I can't really remember sort of as vividly. Like I will have a pretty good memory <laughs> for for many periods of my life. Yeah. You know, almost almost to a fault. Like, no, actually, that was on a Wednesday. I will remember really specific, unnecessary stuff. Mm. But yeah, that, that one probably was a 
that traumatic that your brain just goes like, well, let's like the film Inside Out. You know, let's uh, forget about <laughs> it. Let's forget about this. Yeah. yeah but not blacked it out. I mean, I think about it a lot, mm. but it's easier now. Yeah. Time passes. All of this sounds like cliches, actually. No, Time no, heals and all that. Oh, not but. at all. I mean, that's a that's a devastating thing to to go through. Yeah, I mean, it, it one was. brother would be enough, but two and um, yeah, you can you almost get superstitious, you know, if it happens twice. Mm. Like, oh well, well, what's going on here? Gotcha. But it was completely random. Like one of the doctors just told us, this is just completely random that this happened. Mm. So don't try to make any sense of it. Yeah. And did you talk to anyone apart from doctors? Did you talk to any therapists or any, anyone over the years yeah, to, yeah, yeah. To, to, to cope with that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And did that help? Yes. And uh, like I've like occasionally in the last few years, I've always occasionally gone into therapy for some time just oh. to sort of talk it out because sometimes you just really need to... <laughs> To just put it down, like, uh, hang on, what, what, what's floating in my head now? What, what's bothering me now? Yeah. Yeah. But in recent years, it has mainly been because of like, uh, you know, exhaustion or like work, work-related stress. Yeah. Pressures you put on yourself, you know, not something that happened to you like that, you know. Yeah. More self-inflicted. Yeah. And usually, uh, I find it helps. Mm. If you talk it out a little bit, um, it becomes less menacing. Yeah. And obviously that that time would be incredibly difficult to talk about in your job now, but have you ever thought about talking about it or have you ever... In the comedy show? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is inspirational to see some of the shows that you see, like at the Fringe where people are working with really heavy material and mm. doing these shows that take a really big dip. And then that, of course, becomes, you know... People, some people are very cynical about that stuff and say that, yeah. oh, this is a daddy didn't love me show. Or, yeah, my gerbil uh, died. Yeah, exactly. So I've often considered like, yeah, I should, I should do something about it at some point. Mm. Um, haven't found out the angle yet. Yeah. Um, I would always want it to be like, you know, it, it would have to work. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. I don't want to... Because it's a it's a delicate thing. It's a tricky thing. Opening yeah. up on stage, you can, you know, people can seize up when you do it, and they can get very uh, uncomfortable, not knowing. Okay, when do I laugh now? Uh, can I laugh now? <laughs> yeah. Uh, is this okay? Yeah. But yeah, I've seen a lot of shows um, at the Fringe where I have been <laughs> I have been a bit fascinated by that. Actually, like, oh, well, that is that is very interesting. It might be interesting to, yeah, I, I don't reveal very much about myself in my act. Mm. It might be fun to do it. <laughs> It'll be tricky. <laughs> yeah. It'll be tricky to it make that a, fun. Yeah, it is a bit tricky. <laughs> <laughs> but like Daniel Sloss uh, did did a pretty, yeah. pretty good thing. He had told me like that material a few years before I saw it on the special. And mm. yeah, I found that very interesting the way that worked out. Yeah. to a mass audience. Yeah, it's certainly a challenge. Yeah. Mm, right. Well, let's let's go back to the show that we've uh, that we saw this week. One thing that I noticed straight away, which may be something or nothing, is you start the show without really saying hello. 
<laughs> to, the, to the audience, which I've rarely seen before. I saw Dave Gorman do it once. He just walked on with no applause, as you did, I think, yeah. and just started. Um, any reason for that? Is that something that you've always done? Um, do you mean like not doing a back and forth with the audience or, or talking to the audience? or? Yeah, well, there wasn't even... I think you might have said hello and then, then right into it, but not... You know, you were straight into the first bit, weren't you? There was no... Yeah. Not that I... I would want any particular back and forth. Where are you from? What do you do for a living? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Please give me 10 minutes of that. Yeah. I want to know what everyone does for a living. Um, but it was very quick. It was, hello, here. I'm, you know, yeah. and away. Um, <laughs> There's no time. And there was no big, there was no big entrance, was there? There was no big, ladies and gentlemen, a name you can't pronounce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah I, I've always done that here. Mm. Um I will probably be a bit more loose if I'm performing at home when, where I know that everyone knows who I am. Mm. Maybe, maybe that has to do with it. Maybe I feel like, oh, I just have to introduce myself now. I have to tell my name. I have to explain where I'm from. Mm. Um, what, here? Yeah. Yeah. But then again, I've never been good at crowd work either. Mm. I, I've always been uh, very bad at it. Yeah. Uh, some people are great at it. And the audience loves it if, it, if, if it's done well. Yeah. Is that the reason for it then in terms of this country? You just want to get on with it. You want to get a first joke out in the first sentence rather than... Yeah, it might be. It might be that in my mind I'm still just auditioning. (laughs) (laughs) Or I I only come here like once or twice every year. So maybe in my mind I've just compacted so much material into the hour that I'm like, right, no time to waste. Got to get going. (laughs) Got jokes, jokes, jokes. That's an interesting term, a phrase. Uh, in my mind, I'm still auditioning. Do you do you feel that to to any extent that you are in this country only for a few shows and you have to prove yourself every time, even though you're playing big thousand-seater shows in Iceland? Yeah, definitely. Um, this is uh, I live a very dual life with my comedy, uh, being like very comfortable and established back home, mm. and pretty much being like in the position where I decide what to do. Like I self-produce everything and run everything myself. Yeah. And then over here I have like management and I have industry coming in and it's just a completely different ball game. Yeah. So it, it is very exciting and uh, also a massive uh, breath of fresh air because although Iceland has its many advantages for being so small, it is also like, you know, it is what it is. You know, you know everyone, you know every place. Yeah. But here is like a, a, a whole world of stuff that I've never experienced before. Yeah. So maybe that's why I don't stick around too much at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm just here for like six shows and I'm just here for six days. I just fly back home immediately. <laughs> right. Where, and it's, yeah, we have two children and we are super busy. Just <laughs> yeah. You just want to get your jokes out. Yeah. You don't want to say hello, <laughs> goodbye to anyone. Yeah, well, I love, <laughs> I, love, I love talking and networking, like yeah. talking to people after the show. Yeah. Always shake people's hands after the show. Yeah, I love yeah. that Edinburgh thing of like saying hello to everyone who came to see the show. Yeah. Is there a reason for that as well in terms of saying goodbye? Because obviously that's something I noticed as well on the way out, which I find quite nice, you know, are you... Uh, any particular reason for that, or just you want to thank people, or yeah, yeah. Now I often do it uh, back home. Yeah, yeah. People and, really yeah. like it. I think there was a few people 
that I heard going down the stairs and they were saying, oh, it was lovely that he was there. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, well, I'm glad to hear. I'm glad that people didn't think it was just weird. <laughs> like, <laughs> hang on. Why well, can't we just talk to everyone. Why can't we go home in peace? <laughs> why do we have to face <laughs> up with him? <laughs> yeah. I probably wouldn't do it, though. You should follow it. people down the stairs yes. sometimes. And, <laughs> Can I get you a cab now? <laughs> I'll follow you on, on Instagram. No, no, no. I'll follow you physically. <laughs> Where do you live? I'm so interested. Why did you like my show? <laughs> Are you interested in feedback on that uh, on that note? Would you be interested in knowing what people are talking about going down the stairs? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very interested. Yeah, but do you ever um, do you ever ask or? No. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, I, I'm very curious to know what people thought of it, but. If I hear something which uh, right upsets me, I'm like, I don't want to know. About <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a tricky one, that, isn't it? It's, yeah. It does intrigue you what people think, but I guess you wouldn't want to know what everyone thinks. No, because no. Because you can't please everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you get them a cab. But like uh, a friend of mine once had this line, I can't remember it exactly. It was about paranoia, like when people are getting very paranoid about what other people think about them. Mm. Like, if you only knew how little people think about you, like, <laughs> <laughs> like the main person thinking about you is you, <laughs> yourself. Yeah. Yeah, half the people an hour later will go, did we see someone tonight? I can't, I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the tube was okay on the way home. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, ju- just going back to the saying hello thing, I, I can just imagine myself, if I played a gig in Iceland, I would spend the first minute ascertaining who's maybe from a, a British person or or maybe, uh, <laughs> you know, how many people are like a home crowd or does that interest you in terms of your, your playing to, I don't know how many people's at the Soho Theatre, over 100, 200 people or whatever. Are you interested in who's from Iceland, who's from Nordic countries? Yeah, sometimes I, sometimes I will play with the audience a little bit. I, I just, yeah, I have never done any crowd work in the UK. When I think about it, maybe I... I could do more of it. <laughs> I have a Finnish friend who has this great bit about like, I'm so bad at crowd work, talking to the audience. Uh, but uh, it never goes right, but I'll try. Um, what uh, What do you do? I'm, I'm a lawyer. Lawyer, huh? Fuck you. <laughs> See, it never works. It never works. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> Such horrible band has nothing to do with being a lawyer. Like, Fuck you! <laughs> That'd be lovely, actually, because you, you're such a nice, clean comic. Yeah. If in your crowd work, yeah. if we saw the real you, which yeah. was this awful. <laughs> this this guy, this <laughs> Finnish guy, he, full uh, of hate. Yeah, this Finnish guy was a big influence on me. He uh, introduced <laughs> me to like uh, Finnish comedy and uh, took me to festivals in Finland. So the first time I did comedy abroad. This is like 2011. I started mm. doing these festivals in Finland. And of course, I could only speak English there, not Finnish, because that is a very difficult language. Mm. And uh, the Finnish sense of humor that I got introduced to was very much like that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like he, when he does gigs abroad, he opens his shows up by going like, eh, I don't have to impress you. I'm huge in Finland. Fuck you. <laughs> it's like that's the opening line. <laughs> and then he always wins them over. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, and during the show, I, I just thought you were very slick, you know, kind of Seinfeld-esque in terms of beats and, um, <laughs> you know, is that 
again something that you know about yourself that you're you know you are you just seem so controlled even to the point of sipping (laughs) sipping the water yeah i felt like You've, it's almost like you've worked on that bit. It was so <laughs> slick. When I when I drink when I drink water, it tends to go down myself, or I'm, you know, yeah. I'm doing it the wrong bit. But you just pick the exact moments to sip the water. I'm like, this guy's slick. Oh, uh, <laughs> and it's so do you funny. practice sipping the water. That's my question. Uh, I do not, and I only drink water when my mouth starts to dry up. Okay, which uh, can happen at any moment. The cotton mouth, the famous cotton mouth. Yeah, sure, sure. And uh, I saw you after the show, and I shook your hand on the way out. Along with everyone else, yeah. <laughs> gave you my feedback. Do more rude stuff. Yeah. Um, and uh, no, I saw you downstairs, and I um, I mentioned this to Anavab in a previous uh, podcast that uh, I look into his eyes, and <laughs> he never looks happy. And uh, that revealed something very interesting, where he said he doesn't enjoy a single show. But uh, I saw something different in your eyes. But um, I didn't, uh, what were you feeling after the show? Were, were you happy? Do, does it make you happy? Did that show make you happy? Yeah, that one did. Yeah. Uh, I will have, uh, of course, uh, regularly shows which I felt like, oh I, oh, I took a wrong turn there. Yeah. Oh, that did not turn out the way I wanted. Right. But again, the crowd has no comparison. Yeah. So. Again, is that you being a perfectionist, do you think? Yes, I think so. Which is basically just being a control freak. Um, you, you can't control everything. So when yeah. I do have like a performance that I'm like not thrilled about my own performance, um, I think I'm getting pretty good at just saying like, well, just take it easy. You'll have another one later. And this one had very good pieces in it too. Yeah. Don't start to obsess about that. Yeah. And when I'm happy with the performance, yeah, I tend to be very happy for like an hour afterwards. <laughs> and then it levels off. But it's a it, long time. It, yeah. It's quite it, good. Well, it can be difficult to fall asleep um, after a show that you were thrilled about. Like, yeah. You can be a bit too energetic for like midnight. Yeah. Yeah. And do you ever beat yourself up a lot after a show that uh, hasn't gone the way you wanted? No. I try to bypass it. <laughs> <laughs> I try to distract myself. Oh, well, think about this later. Yeah. Like the impending doom is only bad you know, for a few, few hours. Oh, we have this, uh, we have this phrase. Me and my friends, who do comedy with me in Iceland, that leading up to like a building when we're starting a new show, and in the few days before the premiere, when paranoia starts to sort of sink in, like it's all gonna go bad this time. Like mm-hmm. now our luck has run out. Mm. Uh, I always had this uh, phrase, uh, which I'm trying to translate. Ah, no, no, that's it. Now the, the men are coming for me. <laughs> the men are going to come for me. They're going to come and, and fetch me now and take me where I belong. <laughs> they have found out about me. I, I remember watching Breaking Bad mm. and really relating to Walter White's uh, pressure. I was like, that's what I do. <laughs> I, I create, I have this little comedy meth lab <laughs> and it's going well so far. <laughs> But at some point, somebody's going to break down the door and say, that's it. The jig is up. <laughs> Do you get that sense of impending doom a lot? Because I know what you're thinking. This, you know, particularly when it's been going well for a while. You just think irrationally, yeah. this, something's going to happen tonight that is awful. And you just, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it pops into your mind every, mm. every now and then. Mm. And uh, it can, you can have that feeling 
occasionally for a few weeks if you're having a really rough patch. Yeah. It has nothing to do with reality. It, it is, it is yeah. all a figment of the imagination. Yeah. I don't know why it happens. Maybe it's a way to sort of uh, control the future. Like, well, I saw this coming. I won't get <laughs> surprised when it starts going bad. Yeah. But then it goes away. And like mindfulness and cognitive behavioral therapy, all that stuff can help you diffuse that a bit. Yeah. Is that something you're, you're doing? You, I, you mentioned that in the showing yeah, in terms I, of I living in the now. and Yeah, I dabble in it. Mm. But like I've never really committed to anything like that oh. I, uh, I'm, I'm a fair weather friend <laughs> or like a storm friend <laughs> of mindfulness and CBD right but you do use it when things are maybe uh, yeah if I'm in if I'm in crisis mode uh, I might take a few days to get very introspective yeah but that doesn't happen very often or yeah it happens every few months every few minutes yeah <laughs> a few <laughs> minutes yeah Every few months, you know, that's quite a, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. If, if there's a big show coming up, it's bound to happen. Yeah. Maybe two weeks before. Yeah. It's basically you going, abort, abort. Yeah. <laughs> this is all going terribly wrong. Yeah. And is that something you do just by yourself? Um, mindfulness and, or do you, do you talk with others or? Yeah, both. Yeah. I have a book that I read. Yeah. It's good to write down your, Negative thoughts. If you're having a lot of negative thoughts, uh, it's good to write them down and and then try to argue with them. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, no, that's not true. Mm. No, 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 that's bullshit. <laughs> that's the first time I've ever heard you swear. How disgusting! <laughs> Get off my podcast. <laughs> I thought you were clean. Well, I did drop the F word, but that was in reference to the Finnish comedian. Yes. <laughs> I was. Do we need him to bleep that. that out? Or I, I'm. <laughs> No, I can, we can swear as much as we like, but I just, you're just so nice. Oh, clean. Well, it's just you. not going to happen. I did read that you, you had a bad experience years ago in, in the UK at uh, King Gong, uh, which is, a, yes, a uh, very brutal yeah. show at the comedy store where oh, people yeah. are maybe encouraged to heckle and encouraged to Oh, most certainly. Hate. Yeah. Um, did that, uh, did, did those kind of experiences, because that happened when you were first starting out and maybe first visiting the UK, do those things play on your mind at all still today years later or not do you forget no i knew what i was getting into with king gong and Mm. watching like the first three people go up i was like oh oh this is a joke this is not like a real show (laughs) this is a trap (laughs) yeah and i did really well there Uh, Mm. i had a i had a good run there i just finished off yeah i I finished my material in four (laughs) minutes that was the problem i didn't have any more and that's when they went like "Uh, and then the red cards came up did you only have four minutes of material then at that point? Yeah. And then, okay, and they booed so you couldn't me for do anything like, in the final minute. They, they booed me for like You should a, have asked them what they thought about the set. Yeah. <laughs> and shook their hands. Yeah, that's where my crowd work skills kicked in. Uh, did which you were stand in silence then and say that I was that's did, it. I did. Or like, I think I, was, I think I was doing some banter. I can't really remember it. But I was <laughs> yeah. three seconds away from uh, making it to the second round. Okay. But thankfully I didn't because I didn't know there was a second round. I thought you do five and then you win. But then I realized, oh, they have to go on again. And now the crowd is even more nasty. But that was a fantastic experience. There was a guy who went up on stage and he had this uh, shirt that was tucked into his pants and he was, um, had these big, thick glasses. And he went up on stage and went like, right, right, okay, um, Paris Hilton. And just instantly someone screamed, pedo, 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 <laughs> boo. 
and the compare went straight up like amazing eight seconds ladies and gentlemen um tell you the truth mate if you're gonna go on stage looking like that you better be prepared for some anti-pedo hackling material like this so mean they were so mean oh yeah i've been to i, I went to one when i first started out and yeah i vowed never again yeah. Certainly as a comic. Let's go back as an audience member and ruin some people's lives. But no, it was, God, it was, uh, it, it actually le left me feeling sick yeah. about the world. I'm just like, how, was, did, how does anyone enjoy this night out? Yeah, and one of the guys doing it was like, yeah, I'm doing it for the sixth time. Uh, <laughs> I take a train to come here. Was he the uh, pedo guy? Or? No, this is a guy who came on after him and he was really positive. Yeah, yeah, it's a three hour train ride. I live a long way from here, but yeah, yeah I think I got it down now. I got five, tight five. I know how to finish the thing. And yeah, yeah, hopefully I can get on at some point. And yeah, maybe I've got an agent and got on TV. And, and then he went on stage. Hello, everybody. <laughs> and he just had a full blown meltdown like, fuck you. <laughs> and they just pushed him off the stage and I was like oh my god he really wanted that to go another way <laughs> I've seen someone wrestle the gong off the gongmeister and gong himself off because <laughs> they were just enjoying him dying and wouldn't let him off the stage oh my god <laughs> and he's like it just it didn't occur to him that he could just leave he had to yeah. he had to receive the gong before he left yeah I can't leave there's a force field around the stage now <laughs> a laser beam do, do you work with your wife Linda in terms of your material I, I, yes. I read that yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, how's that working out in terms of your relationship is that oh god I can't, I can't imagine um, <laughs> writing with <laughs> a loved one um, that would quickly <laughs> within minutes descend to what do you mean that shit yeah More shit oh oh we have we have that definitely yeah, yeah yeah she can be uh very brutally honest sometimes and uh does she have a sh shout pedo at you <laughs> gong you off <laughs> thankfully not yet <laughs> uh it's still pretty friendly yeah i read somewhere that you i don't know whether this is a turn of phrase again that you said you can't really control what becomes my set is that because it comes organically maybe out of discussions you have with her or yeah and it, it usually just is stuff that I start talking about in conversation with someone else. Mm. Like, I, I think of something funny, I say that, then, oh, yeah, that was, that, that could be something. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of it is probably just pulled from, like, talking and conversations. Yeah. Very little of it is, like, written purposefully originally. Yeah. Which, which is a good way to work, though. I mean, yeah. some guys I know, some comics I know, um, just really just write their jokes they just keep topics in their book and they're always adding to them and going back to it in conversations yeah there's a great finnish comedian another one called ismo <laughs> he just did james corden last night right and uh, he it's almost impossible to talk to him because he's like hmm yes that could be a callback and then he has a book <laughs> in his hand how, or maybe how is this and like we're having a conversation now yeah but i, I think this could be good Oh, I know a few comedians like that. Yeah. They've never said anything to me that's not a bit. Yeah, scribbling. Um, and if you laugh at anything they say, they're like, hmm, writing it down. <laughs> hmm, could be an audience for this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you could have been telling your awful, <laughs> devastating stories from the past. They, they'd be thinking of a joke. Yeah, yeah. That's how awful they are. They'd be like, and they're not listening. You see their eyes just go off and you're telling people the most tragic story. And they're <laughs> looking for a pun. <laughs> your tragedy, my windfall. <laughs> <laughs> Um, right. Well, Ari, we are almost at the end of our time here. Um, thank you very much. I really enjoyed that. Um, 
I, uh, I read somewhere that uh, maybe in the future you'd uh, be up for working with a, a partner or a writing partner or a director to help help you with maybe a, a more theme-based show. And as we've talked, I've thought, I'm the guy for you, Aaron. Yeah. If you want to meet someone that's dark, that, <laughs> that abuses the audience, yeah. if you want to take your comedy in a different direction that comes on and goes, who the fuck are you? <laughs> <laughs> that Finnish comedian you've got to give me his name again I, he sounds right up my street it's like fuck you yeah that guy I'm, that guy I'm called... big in the UK I play to 15 people yeah oh uh, that's Andre Wikström everyone <laughs> he is hilarious right um, but yes thank you so much and uh, yeah please take me up on that it'll take your comedy in a totally different direction let's do it <laughs> So, that is our show for today. But join us again next week for more Psychomedy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify UK, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you liked it, please give us a five-star review. It helps other people to find us, and only psychopaths leave three-star reviews. Psychomedy was written and presented by me, Nathan Cassidy, BSc in Psychology, and produced and edited by Mike Hansen, BA English for Pop People Productions, theme music by Mike as well. So that's Psychomedy. Please subscribe, rate, and listen back on all the great episodes so far. They're listed at psychomedy.co.uk. Follow us on social media at podpeopleuk, at psychomedypod, and at Nathan Cassidy, and at Addy, A-R-I-E-L-T-J-A-R-N, from Reykjavik, R-E-Y-K-J-A-V-I-K, of course. Everyone knows that. Thanks again, Ari. Thank that you. was great. Lots of love to you all, and see you again next week. <laughs>